It's time for Rock Your Life with Nora Finch Podcast. Featuring guest Randy Rocket Cody of TheMetalDead.com and RandyRocketCody.com, the world's most dangerous journalist. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Ready to go? Let's go. Let's go. I think we agreed on the Into the Darkness with Randy Rocket Cody. Yeah, my wife liked it too. She really liked it. Okay, is she going to listen, you think? After after we, we do it, yeah, she'll, she'll check it out, she said. And then 
Maybe I should have said this first, but you are also known for solving some very big cases in history, Jack the Ripper, Black Dahlia, and the Zodiac Killer. And people can find out more about that on your website. And that is rocketrandy.com. Uh, you've got randyrocketcody.com. That's the personal site, and the metalband.com is, is the heavy metal band site. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. So all of these things make for a great guest, and I'm always looking for people you know, that have empowered themselves in life. But we, um, the intrigue there for me, and then also our common bond in writing and music. I really appreciate his thoroughness and attention to detail, and that's the type of passion and confidence, the type of passion and confidence you put into your writing. That's like another common, like a thing we have in, in common, I think. Um, I think that is because of your, also your Christian faith and wanting to spread the light of knowledge and passion to educate others regarding the dark side of life that also makes you unique. Um, you are also not saying, much like me, that this is the way, but a way. And so we, you are not telling people that they should be Christians and that you should do anything. We are just providing information and you do your own research. If you don't like, there are people, even like myself growing up, I had negative conversations just using that word pray until I became an adult and can integrate and pray and meditate in the same way. So whatever people, whatever it is that you want to believe, we are not telling you you're doing it. We just want to share our life experiences. You at 52 years old and me, going to be 45. So we are not just new and just reading books different. Well, we are reading things in books, but we've also had experiences in life to share what we want to share. So, and I think you said as well, everything you think that you've learned through life is to be able to share now your knowledge specifically. Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, so you are going to also bring up a lot of historical information. You have definitely done the footwork. Um, and so people can go look up, they can, whatever they want to do, if they want to challenge you or whatever funness that they want to, uh, you have lots of things to back up what you are reporting on. And, that, and these, this is, you know, strictly my opinion, it's my analysis of these different uh, investigations. And, um, you know, people need to use that as a springboard to go and, and further research these these subjects themselves. I mean, a lot of them have been being written about for a long time. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's good you bring it up because there will also be people that question that part. Like, well, how do you know this? What are you doing? And especially with these huge big cases yeah. um, that yeah. people thought were solved or we, we, we can talk a little bit, but I think people would kind of be interested in this too. But, um, okay, so let's just, we're gonna go briefly into your background. I just wanted to talk about um, you're just talking. Let's start from six years old, uh, listening to heavy metal, and then you can throw in there um, just any other pieces like of your childhood. That leading up to why I started the metal band, basically. Yeah. Leading up to all that. And then also, will you also talk about because you weren't exactly like raised Christian? Because now we're going to talk about heavy metal music when you realize that it was satanic, but you didn't end up getting into Satanism. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was, you know, when I first started, I was, I grew up in a home, uh, was one of six kids. My mother predominantly raised us on, on her own because my father was in a prison. 
uh, for his organized crime uh, shenanigans. And um, so being one of six kids, I was right in the middle. I'm actually a twin, fraternal. I have a sister. And uh, she, she and I stay in touch. You know, I'm pretty close to, to most of the people in my family still. They live in most of them live in California, where I'm. I'm living in Texas, in Fort Worth, Texas now. I've been here since 2007. So, um, it I end up coming out here to meet the woman that I married. That I've been married to now uh, 14 years. Yeah, she was actually my number one fan of the metal band. Um, I was I originally started the metal band back in 2005 on MySpace, and it just was gangbusters, and it was like huge right out the gate. So I was going to a lot of the shows on the Sunset Strip, and you know, interviewing rock stars and bands, and um, getting paid by bands to promote, you know, bands that were like lesser known bands and stuff. So I was running like a business. And anyway, she, I did all my promoting on the MySpace at that time, and she was one of the fans that would follow. I had like a bulletin that I put out every morning, and she was just always would share it, you know. And I was like, wow, she's really dedicated, like every morning, you know. And so it just, after time, I was, we just figured, you know, we should, we should meet. And uh, so I came out here, and, uh, and that was pretty much it. I'll quote, has rocked the foundation of the heavy music scene and establishing itself as the most widely viewed heavy metal news web scene in the world. Rocket's claiming reporting has been published at all of the leading mainstream news sites, racking, over, racking up over 1 million impressions on Twitter since 2012. So I just wanted to tell them about that. That's what yeah, that's the numbers I showed you. I just showed you a snapshot from my personal Twitter for just a 90-day period. I have I had two different Twitter profiles before they were shut down recently uh, by Twitter. I had one for the metal band site and then one for my personal. And so you saw one for the personal. That was just a 90 day snapshot of 5.8 million impressions. So I had if you put both together and you have that's 40 million just on those two profiles. Um, and that doesn't include all the other sites that published it. Interviews I did on Detroit News and all these. Other, that promoted themselves. I don't. I don't get those numbers, but those numbers are just even huger. So we're we're somewhere in the hundreds of millions to over a billion in, in just the past five years. Okay. So okay. So that's why you're in Texas. So now let's go into. Well, yeah. Well, what happened? What happened? Basically, when I was a kid, I I had an older brother, and he was he was into Black Sabbath and Venom, and uh, he was a real he was a real tough dude, and I really looked up to him. And uh, he had long hair and a flipped up hat and wore combat boots or steel toe boots and would just, he was in long flannel and he just, he listened to this music, you know, and I was just like enamored by it. And I was, I was this little goofy little redheaded kid, you know, with freckles and I was really into movies and stuff, but I was also really into the, just the whole thing with heavy metal. It was just like, it was just crazy you know ozzy was real coming big then I, and i when i was 12 i started he, he had left sabbath and uh, started his own solo band and at that same time and around that same time motley Crue started becoming big in los angeles out of at the sunset strip scene and so i went to their concerts uh when i was 12 um iron maiden number the beast i mean none of the other kids were allowed to do this that i grew up on 
So there all their parents and stuff would come up to me and stuff, and they'd see me with my Iron Maiden shirt on, Number the Beast, and they'd be like, you're a devil worshiper. <laughs> so that was the first time I heard any of that and stuff, and it was like, as I said, I wasn't raised religiously. Like, I wasn't raised, you know, I, my mom talked to us about it, but I wasn't, I didn't go to church. And so I wasn't really, really privy to anything relating to the Bible, to be straight up with everybody. Like, I didn't really know anything. And when I was young, but I was going to the heavy metal shows. And at the same time, I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that was like hardcore. Like we didn't just play around. We like were hardcore about it. Like we played for hours and hours and hours. And my friend, the dungeon master was brilliant. And we ended up going to conventions and playing in competitions. And so then I graduated to Call of Cthulhu, which is more of a very dark. That was my real kind of esoteric and occult introduction. H.P. Lovecraft, I started reading his stuff, um, short stories, and Poe, I read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe. I was really getting into dark stuff when I was probably like 14, 15. Like, then, like, can I stop you there? Yeah. Okay, so then when did you start realizing about the lyrics and the satanic mess of all of uh, Well, like I said, when the, te the teachers and, and friends of you know, uh, my mom's uh, friends and people you know, would just come up to me and say, you know, why do you, you know, listen to that music, you know, and are you satanic, you know, and all this stuff. And I just told them, you know, I didn't see it like that. I said, it's entertainment, you know, and it's just like a movie. You know, if I'm watching a movie and it's about Satanism and stuff, just because I'm watching it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm into doing satanic activity. So, or reading a book about Dahmer, you know, doesn't mean I'm going to go out and start killing things, you know, or people. But, you know, as I told you before, when I was really young, I guess the real first foray into the supernatural happened when I was in around the same age, around 12. I had this stupid issue, this stupid episode where I was just like, I don't know why it happened. At the same time, my dad was really, it was really bothering me that my dad wasn't a part of my life. And so... I think that I probably had a lot of anger. <laughs> and uh, anyways, I killed this new, it was like a little salamander in like my bedroom. Like I had an X-Acto knife and I like cut it in half or something just to see what it would be, be like, you know? And immediately after that, an entity in my closet started going crazy. Like not making knocking noises, growling, just trying to scare me and stuff. And it pretty much did, because I, I, as I told you before, I ended up sleeping downstairs on downstairs couch in the living room for a week. So until I, it subsided and it wasn't happening no more. Uh, that was the first real time, and I was like, wow, man, I was like, maybe this stuff is real. Like, why would anybody care that I killed that thing? You know what I mean? It's like, but it was serious. It was serious. I could feel it was similar to, like, the feeling that I had with the demon. It was, like, feeling. I felt Everything was like, I could feel everything, like there was evil, and there was something that was not right. The, the air didn't even seem right, and it was just like something seemed different in the room. And it was the same thing when I had the situation with that demon outside my, my jam room in West Los Angeles, and that happened in the, the early 2000s. But yeah, so basically that was just how I, I got into uh, listening to metal, going to shows, playing the Dungeons and & Dragons, and... I played baseball too. I went to Little League and I babysat little kids that my mom, she did daycare in the Los Angeles area. So I had to babysit a lot of times and help out, you know, and get a little extra money. Um, so I was a pretty, 
straight up this straight edge all-american kid but i was into uh, heavy metal i didn't get into drugs until after high school is that um so is that when you started studying demonology no i didn't get into any of that that hardcore stuff until until after the chris cornell uh chester bennington investigations and once i started kind of peeling back the layers of of those uh, pedal gate, pizza gate, and all those different things. The frazzle started really swordfish and started trying to really find out what was going on. That's when I really started what we call a deep dive down, you know, into finding as much information as I can about this, this stuff. Yeah, that we just had the whole case against Ghislaine Maxwell that was on TV. Everybody saw he was she was part of the whole Epstein thing. What happened was back in 2016, on my birthday on July 16th, a gentleman named Max Spears was found dead, and he was a very vocal person, uh, going out on the YouTube and doing different interviews talking about this very subject. And he was talking about elite pedophilia and a large, large network of trafficking ring that was going on um, based out of Washington, D.C. And this is where that whole thing started with the Comet Ping Pong and this Pizzagate thing, which was ultimately turned into it was turned into a hoax to cover up what was being discovered, which was uh, the Black Book, first of all. That was that belonged to Epstein. It was a digitized version of it that became available. That apparently, I guess, one of his 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 home helper people had taken possession of, and they got it. They got it from him. And uh, after he was arrested, and then he subsequently died in prison. Um, basically, what I did was I came on when Chris Cornell died in 2017, May. I came on to his investigation. Chris had, when I started investigating his situation, Chris had been spending a lot of time from the stage talking about this stuff. From the stage, where he's actually performing at a concert. He would take time in between songs and start talking about human trafficking going on in America. And said it was going on in all the cities, and it's it's very real, something to take serious. And so he was giving us clues and, 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 and trying to get people to understand that this was a very legitimate thing. It's much bigger than they understand. And so, and then he hands it dead. Two months later, on his birthday, Chester Bennington is found dead the same exact way. He was a godfather uh, to one of his kids. So they had both purportedly been, Chester had, been, had suffered child abuse when he was young, and that was kind of pushed under the rug, and he just grew up and he got into this band. And it turns out that one of the uh, people that was helping the band was a man named John Podesta. John Podesta is a big name in, in this whole Pizzagate, Pedogate thing because he was actually was the 
number one guy for the Clintons. And I sent you a tape that's on YouTube that I posted. It's a presentation for what's called the Frazzle Drip video, which is a purported snuff film that NYPD found uh, off Anthony Weiner's, uh, his laptop. They found it inside of a briefcase, however they found it. They got this snuff film that has uh, Hillary Clinton and Uma Abedin, that's Weiner's wife, um, partaking in a satanic ritual with a 10-year-old girl who is ultimately murdered in, in, in the snuff film. And so this is something that's been out there. It's been out there already for a long time. I actually came out with uh, more information recently that authenticates that the, the snuff film is real. It's available on the dark webs, which is very tricky place to, you know, to navigate, but it is supposedly there. And that is a, it. What was authenticated was that it was either the policeman, his voice on this audio, or somebody else, part part of the investigation, that says it's real. It's, it's in two parts. One is outside, where the girl is tied to it, chained to a tree, and then the other one is inside. And so, that little presentation I show you on YouTube shows you just a little bit of, of that clip. There's a man talking about it, saying that it's real. That's not the same guy on the audio. And again, like I said, nobody knows for sure who this man is on the audio. It is high probability it could be one of the NYPD police. Well, uh, it's tough because they're covering this up in the mainstream. I mean, a lot of the times you're going to go look even at the Franklin incident right now. If you went to Google that, they would say that that was all fake, that it was a hoax. Oh, I'm sorry. It's called the Franklin incident. And that happened in the 1980s here in America, where they found that they were using uh, kids as escorts, as prostitutes with the, uh, the people in the, in the White House and different people in, in the government. And uh, there was a woman named Kathy O'Brien who came out. She's very well known for speaking out. You can you can Google her or YouTube her. This all relates and ties to Michael Kino, who is my prime suspect in the Zodiac Killer investigation. Uh, there's been a lot of other names. There's been movies made about it. And they put out a different name. I'm the first guy to say Michael Kino. Michael Kino headed up the MK Ultra. Uh, that's out of the CIA. He's former military Green Beret, and so he's got that clearance. And he was part of Church of Satan, and then went from there and did church, uh, Temple of Set, which was an offshoot of, of Church of Satan. And so that's basically who was involved with the Presidio daycare scandal, which happened at the same time as the Franklin incident. And the Franklin incident also connects to Johnny Gosh. Johnny Gosh was a newspaper boy who was abducted and was never found, and was purportedly uh, a kid named Paul Bonacci, who was used to lure the kid into the van. It was like a white van that was driving around the neighborhood. And um, he he says that he was uh, made to be part of these different rituals by Michael Aquino. And that's what the kids said at the Presidio, which was the San Francisco area, which is where this is kind of like the stomping grounds for where all the uh, Zodiac killings took place. Okay. going on constantly, all the time, for centuries, just 
just everything was. I'm not like here to just talk about it or like there's a tie-in. So, but you are going to come at this in describing that because I have my own take on the dark side. This, this is going into, I guess what I'm trying to say is let's talk about darkness, evil, what constitutes you want to talk about the demon? Yeah, the demon yeah side? but that's not, but that doesn't help though. What do you, what, okay, you, you mean the evil as far as what do you, what do you want to, to talk about? Well, I think because of everything we just talked about, No, no, it's not. Because we're not interacting with Satanists every day and we're not talking about it, which is a whole other thing when I started watching videos about how if you want to say Satanists, like they're intelligent people. So it kind of intrigues me that I'm like, oh, he just said that he was, they were agnostic and atheists. Like, okay, you're looking for something to help provide answers. Well, they, you have to understand, I mean, if you study anything about paganism, if you have any clue about what paganism really is, or, or druidism, or anything like that that goes back to, you know, I'm talking, going back to what I talked about before with you, which is the Knights Templar, and that's important stuff to understand, to understand the whole movement of evil in this world, and how the New World Order has, has come uh, about. Well, yeah, they were killed. They were they were slaughtered for uh, for being heretics. One of them got away. The Knights Templar. Yeah. You can research all that history, and there's History Channel and all these different uh, really cool shows out there. We'll talk about the Knights Templar if you follow these different things about what I'm talking about with the paranormal, even. Uh, but any of this stuff uh, can be found like on History Channel too. Yeah, Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S, Knights, Templar, T-E-M-P-L-A-R, Knights Templar, and that's Freemasonry, that's that's the whole Freemasonry movement, mm -hmm. secret societies, yeah, you have to understand that there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a saying, as above, so below, and so that means that there's a whole world that's going on underneath us. Basically, it, 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 people have no idea that you've got 56,000 Masonic Lodges just in America. You've got 6 million members. And what happens with those uh, the Freemason uh, secret societies is they have, it's like a hierarchy. It's just like a military sort of a chain of command. And they work it here in the United States in quadrants, as far as the coven goes, and uh, or you can call it the cobble, the evil cobble. 
but it's like the mafia, it's just much bigger, and it's much more eviler. They meet up at two in the morning and they have satanic rituals, and they'll do them out in the woods. They'll do them out. Uh, they'll do them at, at the Masonic lodges. They'll do them in churches. Uh, this is what my investigation showed. They found victims, murder victims, in inside churches to make mockery of, of Christ. Because they're they're part of an elite uh, secret society, and in those secret societies, people that not just the, the elite, the most richest people are in it, but people that have been uh, plucked out of society from you know we're talking police, police, uh, we're talking teachers, we're talking politicians, uh, so, uh, celebrities, uh, athletes. They're plucked and they're using their groom to be part of that secret society. And that allows them, they are, they are given the key to stardom. They wouldn't have these big movie roles. They wouldn't get these 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 big things that they get unless that they had served the covenant. Well, what about all these, like the one who you said to me, I'm not sure she was my friend. Yeah, well, a lot of times in sat in Satanism in these secret societies, um, they 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 have ways to actually get their hands on babies uh, through abduction, all sorts of different means, and they're getting from all sorts of different parts of the world, not just in America. Uh, they're coming from Haiti. They're coming from all over, and uh, and and they're able to do it so that because they have carte blanche, you know, and they have that kind of elite status. And they have clout with these different people who are high up in the chain of command at these different, like in the police departments and stuff. Um, that 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 is kept secret. They are able to cover it up. What people have to understand also is that there's the every year there's a Bohemian uh, club has it has the whole Bohemian get together thing where they all these different elitists are getting together and actually having these rituals at this location in California. And the Bohemian Club and everything was actually started, believe it or not, by the National Press Club, which completely controls the mainstream news media here in America. So it's very serious. That National Press Club is what it's called. And that's who controls when you look at the mainstream press that goes on. I'm an independent journalist. I don't, nobody pulls my strings. I'm my own boss. I have my own sites, so I have my own, you know, uh, authority, and so and I can basically do what I what I wish uh, in terms of putting out stories that I want. Now, do I get censored? Am I getting kicked off of Twitter and, and YouTube and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's happened. Um, but you just got to get back up and, and get back in the fight, you know. And so I'm, I'm blessed that I have a real good skill to get exposure and. Uh, and, and, and I have people like you wanting to talk to me and, and interview me still because it, it gets the message out there. And um, I just think it's a pretty serious thing that people need to pay attention to because it's not just affecting the people getting abducted and murdered and eaten by these cannibals. But it's, it's all also going to affect your world. Your world is going to be changed here very, very soon, very, very drastically. 
for the new world order. It's going to be completely totalitarian. And that's so my my journalism basically is helps as a as a kind of a setup for what is, is going to be coming here very soon. And that is the ushering in of the Antichrist. Okay, so No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, once I saw the demon, and I used to have issues, big time issues with anxiety. I would, I would never have, have done the kind of stuff that I'm doing now um, in, in, in terms of really putting myself out there on a subject like this. Um, but, you know, when I, when I had the experience with the demon, uh, it, it literally just completely changed everything. You know, it was like, so, yeah. So let's talk about that. I'm just going to speed up the story. You were in the studio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was jamming the studio. Playing the guitar. You stepped outside to smoke, right? Mm -hmm. This is in LA. This is in West, West LA. LA. Yeah. Okay. So you step outside. TK Productions, if anybody out in LA knows TK Productions. I don't even know if, know if it's open anymore, but it was a cool place where it had a bunch of different uh, rehearsal places you could rent out. And I rented one of them. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, we need to preface the story. Um, I had been uh, partying extremely hard at that point in my life. My father had passed away in 2001, and I was literally on a binge or whatever you want to call it from then on. And I was literally would just take anything, you know, and it was just, it was, it was pretty bad. And uh, I didn't do any needlework, thank God. Um, but I was pretty much trying to get my hands on anything that I could. And so to try and steal with the pain and, um, I had just at that point, I, I guess I was, you know, mid thirties or whatnot. And I just was like, you know what? I just want to, I just want to jam. I just want to go do something that I knew as a kid that I played in bands and stuff. I was a singer, but I had started playing bass and started singing. I want to put a band together and whatnot. So I was in my jam room and I was, I had been partying and I was literally up, like you said, I was up 18 days in a row. And so at the 18th night, I went to go smoke a cigarette outside and it was about, it was one in the morning and there was nobody else out there. It was totally dead silent. And as uh, soon as I stepped outside, I just felt pure evil. Like I stepped into like the worst nightmare possible. Like I was like, what just, what's going on out here? Like this doesn't feel like the world, the normal world. And I started to hear growling uh, of, a, of a large individual or maybe a dog or something. It sounded like an animal. 
and it was behind, it was next door to the building I was at, but next door behind a bush. It was a huge bush that was probably like 10, 15 feet tall and real thick. So you couldn't see behind it from the front. I had to walk around to peek behind to see what it was. And man, I'll tell you, I had done, I've done acid in the past and had hallucinated. And I mean, a lot, I did it in my early twenties and stuff. So I know what hallucination I've experienced many of them. Very, very, very experienced. I took 150 hits of Donald Duck Blogger in a two-week period. It was Donald Duck was the picture on it. Donald Duck was the picture on it. And my friend showed up with 200 hits, two sheets of 100 hits each one day. He just gave them to me. I was like, all right. You know, he's all, don't get caught with them. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God. So... I was like literally like 22, 20, I was just an idiot. And I ended up eating like a bunch. The first night I was, he told me there might be duds. So I was like, I ate about 25 of them in the first like night, like first two hours. And finally I started tripping. It was hardcore. I saw the flesh dripping off my skin. I saw ants completely cover the table. It was all sorts of stuff. And it went like, went on like this for two weeks straight. I was tripping the whole time. So finally I, I flush the 50, last 50 hits down the toilet um, with that one. But like I said, so I had experience. So when I saw the demon and I'd been up for 18 days, I was saying to myself, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've got to be hallucinating. You know, this can't be really happening. You know? I thought this, this can't be, I can't, I cannot be experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. And as soon as I went around and took a look around to see what was behind that bush, I saw what looked like four or five hundred pound creature, uh, humanoid, red demon, uh, with like black around his eyes, like his lids and everything were black. His eyes were normal, they looked like humans. And I looked at him and he looked at me and uh, I was like, whoa. He had steam coming off his skin and I was just like, okay, that, that looks real right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I took him, you know, dragging my cigarette and went back one more time, you know, and and I was just like, this is just too heavy. Yeah, he was pretty much just sitting behind. So he's, he's staring at me. He, I thought he was going to attack me. You know, he wasn't like making any kind of weird movements or anything or in terms of like being aggressive towards me. He was just staring at me. And uh, like, not like... He was, it was like, as soon as I came around and looked behind the thing and, and, and looked, he was already looking forward. And then he looked like this towards me. And then we shared eye contact, you know, and I was like, wow. So I was just like, that, that's hardcore right there, man. That's hardcore. So I was like, well, I guess that's enough for me. And I just put the cigarette out and walked away back up to my, my jam room. No, no, I, I no longer, fear was gone. I was just like, oh, okay, that's that explains everything for me at that point. And it was definitely a moment where I think that some kind of divine intervention have happened. Um, it was at that very time that the name popped into my head just randomly for my website, the Metal Den. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about jamming. I think that that was given to me so that it would save my life because I was going in such a bad way that I probably would have died pretty soon. And... Um, and I think that that was done for me. I don't know if it came from the dark side. I don't know if it came from the other side. I don't know who it came from. But I took it and I was like, 
okay, this means something. It, it, it really means something to me. And so I, I just decided to go ahead and I had no idea how to get into doing a, a webzine or trying to get into this heavy metal promotions, but I, I basically went onto the MySpace and turned my page into a like a webzine. I got a code for it so I could put music on there and I just started interviewing people and going to shows that uh, on the strip that I could meet people and interview them. And I just started taking it real serious, my journalism, because I've never been like that uh, in terms of trying to want to do rock journalism and so I just got into it and I had I got, had good success and a lot of people wanted to was read my stuff and um, and it just kind of took off from there you know. that yeah that came all after when, when I when that stuff happened with Chris and Chester I mean it just opened up a Pandora's box I mean, it just it just opened up so many different things for me. For me, the main thing has always been about just getting answers. You know, I, I grew up in a family that I, my father was estranged from me, and they were part of organized crime, so it, everything was kept secretive for me, big time. Like, I had to talk to my dad's parole officer one time. I, like, literally took the phone from my mom and wanted to talk to the parole officer, ask questions about my dad. You know, it was like, I, I, just, I just wanted to know more about him, you know. They made him, I told the guy, you make him sound like he's James Bond. And the guy said, he's, that's not far from the truth. So, you know, so my dad was a, was an interesting character. Uh, he was someone I looked up to. When he died in 2001, it was a, a, a big a void. And even though I was estranged from him a lot, I had seen him later on when I was like 17 for a little bit. When he got out of prison, he went back in after that again. Um, he was just connected to the organized crime. And once you're in, you're in for life, you know. And that's kind of the way that it is when you uh, decide to go that route. You want to make money and you don't want to, you know, languish in obscurity or mediocrity. People take, you know, take that better the route. And that's what my dad did. He got one count less than John Gotti when he got busted in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, back in early 80s for loan sharking. My dad's name was, was Ron Greenberg, but he went by Johnny Rocco. That was his. That was his gangster name, and Johnny Rocco, which was the name of John. It was an Edward G. Robinson character in some gangster movie, and um, so. But he was, as I said, he was enamored by my grandma. My grandma was the was the real gangster. I mean, she was personal friends with Al Capone, and her stepfather was uh, O.J. Ellis, uh, who was part part of the Chicago outfit. And ran Capone, the Capone brothers. There was two two brothers, Al and uh, his brother Ralph, and they had speakeasies all speakeasies all over uh, Illinois that were during the Prohibition that were used to be able to get people the the illegal booze, and they were running their own hustle basically. And so that my my family member. Um, she originally was a uh, elevator operator when she was 18, and I want to say uh, not Macy's, but one of those stores was a store I think before that. But anyways, it was one of those like stores where you go buy clothes and perfume and stuff, and that's where I guess she kind of befriended uh, uh, Capone because he would come in and buy stuff for his wife and stuff, and she would sell him, you know, and become more friendly with him, and he started taking to more of a liking. He knew. Who she was, obviously, because one of his crew was her, her, is his daughter. And so he kind of started taking a liking to her, and they started having lunch together. And, like, as a 
a protege. And so she ended up ultimately getting, in, in the end, she got a um, dog track out of it that was in Florida where they race the dogs around the thing and you do legal betting and stuff. And so she was, she sat on that. I know she sat, she did not like one of the other people on the board was George Steinbrenner. And she complained about him to me. Um, but yeah, so they were millionaires. My grandmother was a millionaire. She's passed now. Um, my dad was just, you know, he was, as I told you before, that he had success in, in, the, in, in, the, in the regular um, area of, of work. Um, you know, he he'd actually was vice president of USU. Uh, at one point in his 20s, and he also in the 60s had the uh, Jazz Suites, which was a jazz club, noble jazz club in Beverly Hills in the 60s, and Aretha Franklin was, was on, you know, sat with the opening house band. So, yeah. I wrote a screenplay, I wrote a screenplay in 2016 that's available on Scribd. It's copyrighted, so it's all protected. But anyone that goes on Scribd, I guess you had now, at the time I put on there, it didn't have subscription. But I guess it does now. But if you go on Scribd, it's available there. It's called um, Public Enemy Number One. And that's all spelled out just normal with the words. And uh, it's about Al Capone and my grandmother's relationship. She had left a bunch of tapes, audio tapes, uh, before she died about all this experience. And uh, there's also belief that she was a female Freemason. And that's plays into all of it because my father's attorney during his trial in Cincinnati was F. Lee Bailey. I mean, he's a legend. I mean, he's one of the most famous attorneys ever. I mean, he was with the O.J. Simpson trial and he's a, he's a famous Freemason. So the only way that, way that happens is because my family's Freemason. Yeah. My friend growing up, um, her, I remember that hat. I don't, I don't know. There's only one hat, but that red cap thing. You know, I don't know what the tassel on it. That's a Shriner. Oh, That's a part of it. That's a part of it. You'll see those people like older guys with these uh, red hats with tassels hanging off them, getting uh, gathering money, trying to get donations. It's literally standing on the islands out in the street. Yeah, that's a part, that's an arm of the, uh, the, of, of the Illuminati of, of the Freemasons. Okay, yeah, that was her grandfather's Yeah, and uh, there's, you know, millions of people all around America have, have had, the guy that I go, I go on the radio every month on FM, uh, rock radio station WQE, every Wednesday, the first of the month, and uh, he, he, the guy that hosts that show, Ryan O'Neill, his, his uh, grandfather was a Freemason, so it's uh, very prevalent. Yeah, well, that's, you know, when I do these investigations, you know, I, I especially when I start work on a Chris Cornell uh, case, you work it from a homicide detective standpoint, you work it from the body out. So literally, the most important thing is, is the body and being able to determine through analysis, forensic science, what's happened to the body and why it ended up in the position it's in, which is deceased. 
And so that's really where my specialty is. Uh, my investigation was about uh, doing just that, finding out why certain things were being done by the, the police in the investigation, why they weren't being done, kind of pointing that out to people as we were going along and uh, giving people an opportunity to to be part of that analysis. And these were long, uh, but but really but short in terms of, I could have gone on forever. Uh, dissertations that probably the average person doesn't wanna doesn't want to read and the same thing with a lot of these interviews that I do the last hour or two hours and it, you know a lot of people have problems with sitting down for 10 minutes listening to anybody talk so um, but definitely these these investigations starting with Chris Cornell were what kind of got me tripped up into wanting to investigate these other things I thought wow well if they're not telling the truth about these cases how many other cases have they lied about and well, maybe, maybe I could take a swing at some of these most epic, unsolved, you know, serial killer crimes of all time, and and and, and maybe make something happen uh, in terms of getting some answers. And so that's what I did. I just, I, I just, without any pressure on myself, I just started investigating separately. I went on Jack the Ripper first, and that was a trip. I mean, I went really right back to London, 1888. Like literally, I was walking in his footsteps. I did that kind of investigating. I mean, hardcore. I'm talking hundreds of hours of investigating. That's great question. What was it? What did you say? Did you start with okay? Let's see who was accused. I wanted to see, I wanted to just go back, I literally wanted to go back in time, like if I actually took a time traveling machine back to 1888, okay, I wanted to be able to step out into London, where, where this where this occurred, in, in Whitechapel. I wanted to, I wanted to literally find out what was going on at that very moment in time. What was going on? What was the weather? Where were the police, were there police walking the streets, you know, on, on beat that night? I wanted to find out exactly the the, the milieu, the environment that we were dealing with, and so, going. Okay. Okay, this is important. So when you knew, say you watched the movie, I don't know how you started. Were you like the person who ended up they said killed? Were you like they didn't do it? Yeah. Well, you talking about from hell? Um, the movie. Well, for example, there, That's, they talk about that. Well, they talk about the Freemasons in it. They talk about the Freemasons, and actually the guy that Johnny Depp plays, his character, his name is Frederick. And that's who I've named as the, the new prime suspect in the Ripper case. It's uh, Sir Frederick Treves, and he was the head surgeon uh, there at the Royal London Hospital, which was right there where the, the murders took place. And so they actually, the girls, were brought to the, to the hospital that morning. And he was the only, he was the doctor that received them. Yeah, I went into it. They, the first thing I saw after I looked at the different people they've been talking about for a hundred years about the, who they said did it, and and they were nowhere near that place at that time. And so what I found out was what uh, Scotland Yard did instead when they started an investigation was they tried to blame it on a Jew. Just racial, race, racist thing. Yeah, on the flyers you could find it. They said it was a Jew that, that did it because they had Jews that were coming, that were migrating apparently. 
and uh, to, to that area. And um, so that, that's that was what they said. And so right there, you you know, you're showing bias in the investigation. So that's straight. That's from, that's from Scotland Yard. So I thought, well, well, if they're playing that kind of game, then what what's really going on here? I said, is this is this uh, what we call, um, you know, smoke and mirrors being used to, to cover up something that's much more sinister that, that went on? And so what I did was I just really started um, examining. I wanted to know if I was the killer and I was there in 1888 London that night trying to pull these, these murders off. And he was disemboweling these women on the street. How could I get out of there without getting caught? Because it's like corridors around these streets, and it's it's you got to know your way around. And there's beat cops walking around. And so, how did he get out of there? Well, I found out there was no commercial vehicles being sold in 1880. There was no way out of that. That's why he had to stay there that night. Because he would do that because he wouldn't actually go back until later in the week. He would stay there for several days, stay there before he'd go back home because he lived kind of far away. And you, the only way you had to travel was horse-drawn carriage. Well, it was raining that night. There was no horse-drawn carriage going around. So there was no way out. So that means he had to go back to the hospital. So it's the doctor. Okay, and we're also tying this into satanic Yes, because they were performing satanic rituals with the girl's organs that were being removed. Probably not going to see anything like this ever again. I mean, this was, uh, of all the investigations, I've studied every single major serial killer in American history and, and beyond, uh, really focusing on Edmund Kemper, um, Dahmer, and uh, some of the others, that Richard Ramirez we've talked about. Um, this is... Yeah, it, it well, there's a is a, there's a part of that, and a lot of that can help get you to these to these bad areas in life where you just literally you do become kind of separated from yourself, and it allows an off-world entity to to attach itself or to actually enter a person and and then and then control that person like a robot, and so and with. The satanic rituals are used now. There's still a whole lot of investing going because there's been a whole lot of cover up in the Richard Ramirez case too. But he was into heavy metal. He listened to heavy metal, ACDC, driving around killing people. And I mean, he was literally breaking into people's houses and at night while they were sleeping and just doing horrible things, man. And he was going from freeway to freeway all throughout California, just different cities. And he had the whole. I I was living there when it happened. It was just it was terrifying. And people were really really scared. And so. I, I always thought that maybe somehow he was getting protection, that he was that that's allowing them to carry on as long as they did to kind of terrify everybody and kind of create this kind of atmosphere. Same thing, thing they did with the Manson murders, and um, like it was it was it was sanctioned and backed by the Illuminati, and that's why God was allowed to get so big and they made such a big thing out of it, you know, because he was just a spawny little Hispanic guy, you know, that was addicted to crack and other drugs and um he would hang out at the cecil hotel which i've actually stayed at and um 
Yeah, it, it's a very terrifying place. I actually stayed there for a couple of weeks at one point, and um, it was fascinating. They had just redone the lobby, and I mean, it looked like a million-dollar job they had done. It looked beautiful. Now it's completely different. They've shut it down for housing. It's not even a hotel anymore. But um, it was fascinating because uh, Black Dahlia also stayed there. So she was actually spotted in the bar downstairs right before she died. So that was a part part of it for me. You know, I was like, one of the things I always loved to do while I was down in L.A. when I lived there um, was stay in hotels that I knew that had history. Um, there's another one called Las Palmas where it's where actually she was staying right, before, right when she died. And that was where they shot Pretty Woman, the final scene. So there's places all around Los Angeles like that and have this incredible history. And so, uh, but there's a, there's been some things put out about a girl that died in some water uh, container thing on top of the roof at the Cecil Hotel after she was spotted in an elevator on, the, on camera, having some kind of interaction with some kind of a, a demonic entity. And then she was, and then she was found dead a lot longer after they found her months and months later. But in a thing, now there's talk. There's um, Michael DeLuca, I think, is talking about making a movie about that. Uh, but it's it's really fascinating, and I think that anybody who goes to LA, you're you're shorting yourself on the experience if you don't go check out some of these these places because they're still there, and they're incredibly historic. I, I watched, yeah, I know about her story. I don't know if I watched that whole thing. Um, I, I've been knowing about her story for a while now. It's in, uh, but I stayed there a number, a number of years ago. Probably it was, I want to say, 18, 19, 20 years ago. And, uh, but I had, a, like, it was a really, uh, really fascinating experience because I know I know that history. That's, well, that's where the Night Stalker stayed. So I was really fascinated by that, you know. He stayed there. His family would come and cry and beg him to stop, you know being the way that he was, which was, he was a hardcore Satanist, and he was very, he was about, uh, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't hiding the fact that he was killing people for Satan. He was using, you know, different types of symbolism and, and at the crime scene and on the people that it just, it, it denotes that this is something that is, is beyond just a regular, you know, murder. This, this had something else going on, something on potentially paranormal. He's dead. He's dead now. Uh, he died in prison. I don't know if he died of cancer or a heart attack. Nobody killed him. I, I think everyone's pretty freaking scared of the guy. Um, he was, he was extremely terrifying. He was, he was not a big guy. Um, as far as I understand, he was, his teeth were crazy. Yeah. And he was, well, he was just the things that he was doing have never been done by any other serial killer. I mean, he took one woman's eye out and literally stuck his genitalia in it. In her eye socket. See, I mean, it's, he's at a level as a serial killer that's never been experienced before. So, and I believe that that's because in, in certain crimes that I've studied, it's because there's, there's something else going on there. You know, he's, once you get once you get into Satanism, true Satanism, and you start calling on the darkness, and uh, trust me, it's it's real, it's there, and it's it's just waiting for the the bell to ring, and once that happens, it's over.
not, but just acknowledge what you're getting involved with. And then again, energy. I'm all about energy and feeling energy and trusting your intuition. So just to let them know, you know, what kind of career you're getting into, what you can do to help um, prepare yourself for it and having a moral compass. So maybe those are things they do get talked about, but I just wanted to bring this to their attention. Yeah. Well, when you're on a crime scene, things can happen. You know, people have to understand that, you know, when there's this sort of uh, entity involvement, you know, and it really has taken on a paranormal sort of uh, twist, you know, then it, then it, it can, it can start to affect other people. You know, there's curses and there's all sorts of things that can happen to the people that are touching the body. So. Well, you can confirm too, though, from your experience, Satan is real, Satan exists, and if that helps you feel better when you go on a call or you see something, to just know that that could be a factor. So, and it's and, and a lot of times it doesn't. You know, people can do stuff to themselves. You could find somebody with who looks like they were murdered by somebody, but they actually did it themselves. Because the people, when they when an entity takes over you. It, it takes over you and, and can make you the murder victim. So how would they, I mean, don't they find that out in investigations? Well, I think a lot of the stuff gets covered up. You know, I think a lot of it gets covered up. I mean, what happened with all those investigations back in the 80s I talked about with the Franklin incident and all these things, with Michael Aquino with the Presidio, which the little kids were saying that they were being made to take part in satanic rituals. It was all made to look like it was called satanic panic, like it was something that wasn't real and that was being blown out of proportion and that they were they did not pursue real true uh, litigation against Michael Aquino. They, they got another guy that was involved and pinned it all on him. He subsequently died later and Aquino was able to just kind of skate on and that was in the 80s. This is after all the stuff that I'm tying him to, which he was in Vietnam, and he was part of the Operation uh, Phoenix Operation, which you've looked that up. That was uh, false flags being conducted during Vietnam against the enemy. Uh, and I mean, talking some of the most, and, and, and torture uh, scenarios of people to get information, including women and children. And I'm talking like, you know, electrical wires being attached to genitalia to torture them. This is all a part of Michael Aquino's uh, commando squad that was was active back then at the same time that he was coming back to America on leave during the same time in the late 60s, uh, back to California where the Zodiac Killers, uh, you know, the killings took place. So he, he's, he's the Zodiac Killer. I've nailed him. I mean, I nailed him. This was three years ago. I wrote all about this. And he was on YouTube and everything. The actual guy, Michael Aquino. He was on YouTube like every month. I'd see him on YouTube. Someone interviewing him. As soon as I named he's still alive. They tried, the Church of Satan tried to say that he's dead. But he's not dead. He's a very powerful man in the United States government. And in the New World Order. Uh, he's extremely, 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 extremely powerful. Very powerful guy. He's more powerful than the president. And he's, yeah, he's actually, he's in charge of a Wolfsburg Castle in Germany. That's the headquarters for the Illuminati. That's where the number two for Hitler would stage 
uh, cult rituals and stuff. I mean, you can you can look that up. I mean, that was that was all going on. Hitler was really into all that, learning about the uh, spirit of destiny and getting his hands on the Holy Grail and uh, interacting with mediums and, and, and talking to off-world entities that way and having contact. And so supposedly that's what the Nazis did. They had developed uh, some sort of a secret deal with them, which came over to America after World War II because Operation Paperclip happened and they allowed everybody that was a part of the, uh, the scientists and whatnot from Germany um, that were going to get busted for war crimes, they were allowed total immunity coming over to America and kind of went into secret uh, positions in different places, some in NASA, but just all over. And that kind of is what created the military-industrial complex here in America uh, under Satanism. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hardcore. not even reported you know and it's like a lot of these you know a lot of the kids are going missing in America uh, are connected to, to the uh, foster care situation and uh, CPS child protective services they're all in on it and so I can tell you firsthand I had an experience at a Kroger here in Fort Worth Texas just a couple years ago actually right after I was investigating Chris Cornell and stuff I was standing in line and a woman came walking up looking frantic and she had her son's son next to her, he's maybe 10, by, by the hand. And someone had tried to abduct him in a store in, in, near the bathroom, I guess. And so she was kind of frantic. Someone just tried to steal my son, you know. And the guy that was at the counter, the, the clerk that was listening to her story, had more satanic tattoos on him than I've ever seen on anybody. And he was like, ma'am, I'll take that information and kind of, you know, didn't really do anything with it, you know. And I knew right then and there my spidey sense was on. And I was just like, this, this you got to be kidding me. You know, that God, you've got me here for a reason, don't you? It's like, so I'm just standing there just like, wow, this is this is legit. You know, this is, they're stealing kids out of, out of stores. You know, they're, they have a network of people and that's what they do. Walmart, you know, you've got to be real careful with your kids out there, man, because these kids are valuable to these Satanists. Uh, they get sold into sex slavery. Uh, or they get, you know, put through a satanic ritual, or they can get they can get sent to just about anywhere uh, to to be somebody's slave. You know. I 
Yeah, I think people just need to realize that it's real. It's just this is real as Satan is real. People are under the assumption that that Satan's not real and that Satan is a separate person from Lucifer. That's not true. They're the same person. He was cast down and he was changed into his beast form when he was put here to earth. And when he was cast down, they basically spread their seed with humans. And that's what created the hybrids. And so that's that's what's going on in this world. You've got a lot of people running around who don't give a crap about you. They don't have they don't have they don't have any care in the world for anybody but themselves. It's a it's a me, myself, and I generation. And so because they're being taught by Satanism is you are your own God. I mean, that's what Anton LaVey, that's that's what Aquino himself, you are your own God. Do what that will. You you are in charge of your own. However you want to do, you are your own beast. This stuff is ancient. This stuff is ancient, I found. It ties all the way back to Egypt. It's absolutely normal. It's absolutely normal to them. It's it's just as normal as you would go to if you were a person that goes to a regular Christian church here. Satanism is just as normal, maybe even more normal than that, in terms of the way that these people uh, conduct themselves and are very, very um, consistent about their practice of, of this religion. So I, you have to be, because if you've seen any way the spells work and doing incantations, uh, invocation, any anything that deals with... Um, asking for something or trying to bring forth something trying to summon something uh, for knowledge or you know for for whatever that's that takes it's not an easy thing to do and it, it can be done but it takes everything has to be done just right and so it's a very very calculated sort of thing and it's been going on for a very very long 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 time and it'll continue to go on Well, they, there's what well, I was talking about the Saturn uh, death cult, and that's something that y'all need to become familiar with. It'll be something you hear more about. I'm actually going to write a report about it. It's going to kind of, I don't think there's many people have written about it, but that's kind of what this it all boils down to. The Illuminati and all this stuff and all these sacrifices stuff boils down to the worship of Saturn and how that you know relates to all of this and, and the sacrifices. It's it's very very deep. And it's too much to go into right now, but that's there. That's where this is all based from. It's that worship, supposedly what's called the life energy, uh, loosh. That is acquired. That's a hub for these awful entities. They feed off of humans, uh, misery, upset, you know, all that stuff. They feed off that negative energy. They actually feed off of it. So that's why all these agendas are are put off forth by the mainstream and all you see is negative news and these shootings you know which are all staged in my opinion all these different things that are going on is because they're trying to change the vibration so that they can lower it down so so much for what they're going to attempt to do here soon which is going to be the second holocaust they're going to round up millions and millions and millions of people and they're going to Exterminate them. When I heard you say that on the show the first time, I was like, oh, wow. Because I have 
Okay. So the child, so not to rush over it, like I said, the tra uh, child trafficking, human trafficking, because it's another area that, um, while if anything brings us together to help facilitate change. But um, it actually, I just found out, find out a couple of years ago, it's actually pretty big here in Sacramento. Like there is a street there, like, oh yeah, what Avenue over there? That's known for that. I was all what? So even Sacramento has its fair share apparently it's known. Um, I was going to do a show regarding that, but I kind of got sidetracked because, um, I don't know if you've heard of them, I got sidetracked because I started to think, are they making money off of the way they're glamorizing this? It's called Operation Railroad. Do you, have you ever I don't think I've heard of them. But it's where they go and rescue kids, right? They're making it seem like they're doing yeah. a great Exactly. Well, that's a part of their. They're very deceptive, and they have to be because if they want to. They don't want to do two things. They want to make it appear that they're here to save the day. Yes. Meanwhile, they're the ones doing all the destruction. And and and, and cremation of care ritual that that goes on at the Bohemian Grove is is done so that the people who are these celebrities and people are being are partaking in these satanic rituals and murders um, are able to cleanse themselves of the of, of this uh, degradation you know they, they are they able to become free of it with this uh, cremation of, of care like to, to just rid you of you're not guilty of anything you know it's like oh yeah you are you know you're gonna answer for what you did trust me you're gonna answer you may have acquired wealth and all these great things here uh, but you're going to answer for it. Now, they're blackmailed into it in most cases. You know, they're told, once you get up high enough, and the same thing in the mafia, once you get high enough up into it, they're going to they're gonna take the right person aside and say, look, we're, we want you to become a made person, a made person in this, in this secret society, and we want you to go to a higher level, but we've got to tell you something. And that's when they tell you, we worship, not... God and, and Christ, we worship Satan. And and if you say anything now, after I've told you all this, I'm going to kill your entire family. So what do you think that person's going to do? <laughs> that person's going to keep their mouth shut. They're going to do exactly what they're told to do and partake in these things they partake in to be able to go to a new level in, in, in that secret society. Okay, hold on a second. Okay. So, yeah. It's very confusing because I've had a couple of instances where I'm like, wait a minute. They're doing a good thing. Why are they doing this over here? It's, it's, all, it's all a way to, to cover it up. And part of what they have to do as Satanist is, and, and, and under service to Satan, is you have to put it out there. So really, all the stuff I talk about, all the evidence, and everything is out there. It's in there's newspaper clippings, and there's there's all sorts of things. Lots of it's gotten buried, but it's there if you want to go find it. And there's interviews with these people I, I, that were that were being forced to take part in these satanic rituals. Paul Bonacci himself talks talks about you know um, one kid in particular that he literally saw his head get blown off. And they've still made the kid, the kids that were there, have sex with the dead corpse. 
So this is stuff that's out there. It's legit. It's 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 real. It's been reported on. Um, it's been covered up, but it's it's definitely real, and it's stuff that I think is going to start to become. The people who are starting to wake up now are going to start to see that wow, what's going on right now with all this PizzaGate stuff? Maybe maybe that is real too, even though it's been said to be a hoax. Now, with the Chester Bennington now, when he died on July twentieth of twenty seventeen, on Chris Cornell's birthday, I was the only journalist who actually got the corner, the uh, Los Angeles County corner, to send me his his autopsy report. I was the first journalist to get it. This was, it took months for me to get it. So it was a, over 100 days. That's not standard and normal in any kind of death, you know, uh, proceedings. It's just, it's something kind of foul play was going on with this case. That's why that they, they, you know, kept drawing it out. And uh, so anyways, yeah, once I got onto his case and saw what Chester had been suffering under abuse when he was a kid, and saying a lot about that in his music, and Chris was talking about it, and Chris was real, he had his own foundation that actually got, uh, that was blacked out right before he died, and money was missing from it. And his foundation was literally, he was going and playing his own solo shows aside from Soundgarden. Any money he made, he put into the, the till for his foundation. And huge amounts were just go missing. His wife was, you know, was involved with it, and uh, his wife's story's not been consistent and continues to change. And she she turns out this is the kicker, everybody. She rolled out the publicity for a bar in uh, France during a time that she was dating Mark Wahlberg. Now, in my investigation with the Black Dahlia, I also named the first time a new name in that investigation uh, as the prime suspect, Man Red. The artist, anybody that, that knows uh, abstract kind of like surrealist type art, uh, he's he's a legend. But the name I found that he had, well, he was allowed to leave. LAPD didn't even question him, and he was personal friends with the guy they were trying to say was the number one suspect. They let they questioned him, George Hodel, who's a doctor, but they didn't question Man Ray. They allowed him to leave to go back to France. So what I found out was Vicky Cornell used to be part of a bar in France called Man Ray. So, and that all is deals with that, that Black Dahlia case is really fascinating because it has another black book in it. Her black book has another black book. She, the, the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short, had a black book on her that had all the powerful people's names that she was involved with in Hollywood that were part of this human trafficking, this pedophile uh, ring, sex slavery ring. And it included top directors. And they believed that she was taken out. She was working as a lure for, for them. And uh, she was taken out and kind of made an example of, and like made into this like, it was, it was very, very brutal what they did to her. And it's very satanic. And there's a lot of things that, that tell you that that's what was happening there. Um, pretty brutal. She was completely drained of all her blood, which is vampiric.
they're telling you, even people in Hollywood, right, coming out, talking about it, they're like, go look for yourself. And then you see the symbolism in the music and things like that. But what about even people talking about, you know what goes on at Super Bowl? Like, yeah. do you think some more, like, what's, what's going to happen with, and people know, okay, now I know. Well, because they're they're putting it out there because as we get closer to the to the introduction of the Antichrist, who's an actual figure, just like Satan is real, there is a real Antichrist who is going to be introduced to our world here very soon, and it's going to help um, usher in this whole new world order, which is a one world government under one world leader, under one religion, and only one currency, digital, and so that's coming. Whether anybody wants to agree with me or, or whatever, I'm telling you, it's already underway. And 2030 is the name of the agenda. And uh, people need to look into it because that's a part of what I believe this whole pandemic is going on. I believe that uh, this, is, this has been done to, to the people by the government as a part of this systematic way to reduce the world population, which is uh, what they're doing. The Georgia Guidestones completely talks about that about how they want to reduce the world population uh, from, you know, what, seven, eight billion down to 500 million. I mean, you've got to kill a lot of people. You're talking six and a half, seven billion people have to die in the next 10 years for their plan to, to be carried out. So they're going to have to kill a lot of people. Anybody who's got who's got that opinion, I would just say either you're part of the problem and the cover-up, or you're brainwashed, and that's what most of the citizens in, in America, especially the, the people went to American public school, um, you're brainwashed. You know, you I, my journalism teacher worked at the Pentagon. He worked at the Pentagon. My journalism teacher in high in, in junior high school. Um, Aaron Rockman was his name. And I found out, he just passed away, but I found out he actually was employed by the, the Pentagon at one point. So you've got people working for the Pentagon, are teaching kids in school. Um, there's there's an agenda going on, man, because this guy didn't talk anything about the stuff that I talk about. You know, I, I wrote for the high school football team, you know what I mean? But we talked about serious subjects in class, you know, and he didn't talk about any of this stuff. So I, lend, I, I tend to think now it's because he, he worked for the Pentagon. He was a part of the CIA. So what would you say the degree was about the Because they don't care. Because they, first of all, there's a, a very, very elite bloodline in this world that most of us have nothing to do with, that they're trying to keep alive. So they will actually do incest. They will actually breed within their own families to keep that bloodline going. And so it's it, it, it's very important how that relates to satanic rituals and these people who gain power in the world through through politics or. Even somebody that works high up in, you know, in brass in a, in a police uh, headquarters, you know, these guys are, are, are groomed and put into those positions through the secret societies to be able to carry out the agenda all throughout America and the world.
Why would they go towards a totalitarian rule system uh, when we've been supposedly we were uh, built under a, you know this uh, under a, this liberty sort of stance that was supposed to give everybody this freedom? Well, where's your freedom now? Where's your freedom now? You know how how have things been going for the past two or three years when you couldn't even board a, a, a flight to go overseas somewhere, or you had to you know wear a mask all the time and were told what to do every every minute. Uh, about about your health and what you, you know shots and vaccines you should be taking and so No, I, I went into I went into the United States Marines back when the Persian Gulf War broke out. I was 21. I enlisted. Yeah, I sure did. I enlisted. And uh, when I went in, the first thing they did when I went in, I went in as a believe it or not, under a journalist. I wanted to be a journalist in the military, and so that's what I had chosen when I went in there. And after I started doing boot, they switched without even asking me. They switched that to field radio operator which is the guy that carries the, the communication sack on the, on the back. That's the first one that gets hit with the sniper. So I was like, well, you know, you guys didn't even ask me. You know what I mean? It's like, so I was like, wow, you know. What happened ultimately, uh, I was honorably medically discharged. I was let in with, I had an asthma as a kid. And so they were trying to ramp up, cut down the training from 12 weeks to eight weeks to send us over to the, to the desert. And um, basically, I got told on by one of the, the uh, one of the recruits while we were sleeping. I guess I was wheezing. You know, I was doing just fine in my training and everything, but I guess because I was wheezing, you know, what I mean, it upset somebody. So they reported it, and I was sent to the to the doctor and everything, and they told me I can't stay. You know, so I had to I had to leave. So it was a very interesting experience. I'll never forget it. Uh, it was incredible, but. I can tell you this that you know there's there's an agenda there with with in terms of how they run the military you know and and what they did was after I found out after I, I had dodged a bullet and didn't actually go to war uh, and, and do any time in the war um, there were people who were coming back from the, the desert storm with uh, neurological problems I'm talking like five-star generals because of you know different types of uh, chemical agents and stuff that were being used uh, out in the desert to, to, to completely saturate it before the American troops came. And so... I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to be on a wait 
like it's not just one story, like it's tons of stories. Even Sacramento here, Americans almost mentioned that they were on my show. Like there's a whole, I mean, having these facilities and stuff like that um, to provide. And there's not. I mean, you go, you look at the veterans facility in Los Angeles, it's, it's despicable. I've been in there. It's like, what is this? Did, have you guys put any paint on the walls? New, new paint in the last 30 years? I mean, it's like, this is gross. I mean, this, the way that they treat the veterans in this country is, is me, is it's only a reflection of the people that are at the helm of all of this, which is a very evil, sadistic, dark, just purely satanic uh, person, you know, and that, and there's, those are the people that are connected to these, these elite, uh, you know, secret societies. They've been put in those positions. Uh, it's the same thing in the military. You know, that's my opinion. You're not getting up high up on that thing unless you're pulling service for Satan. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think right there. I mean, there's two veterans and children. I mean, they're they're susceptible to a lot of terrible things in this world, you know. And and I think that a first responder, you know, has to understand that, you know, you're literally when you're going out into situations, it's like a war zone out in the streets, you know. And so uh, you're going to see, especially with gang wars. So I grew up around the the gangs and stuff in Los Angeles, you know, we would have to have a green tarp put up on the backside of my school fence to thwart the, the gangsters that were driving by trying to do drive-bys, you know, and because kids were getting shot and killed. Um, I had a kid that sat behind me in my, uh, one of my classes in junior high school, Juan Casillas, he got shot by Culver City gang. He had just crossed Lincoln Boulevard going into the hood and they pulled up right beside him and shot them. So it's, it's, it's been something I've been dealing with since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, when you show up, I mean, they have, we had one of our friends get shot in, in Venice and the ambulance showed up and wouldn't get out of the ambulance. And he just bled to death on the street because cops hadn't shown up yet. And they're not allowed to get out of the ambulance until the cops show up. So he just bled to death on, you know, kid that we all went to school with. You know, and so um, it's it's when, and then when you when you're a person, whether you, like I talked about, whether you're a volunteer or you're someone like me or someone you know who tries to help somebody in a traffic accident, and you're the first person on them, you're a first responder. Well, and, and, well, I could give you a real quick example. My wife's got a friend. She was having dinner with her tonight. He was talking about a situation. He came across a guy and got in a, kind of an accident, and uh, he went up to him to try to help him, and he opened his jacket. He just completely just fell out. I mean, it was just bad. He, like, literally had exploded. And um, I was just like, dude, that dude's hardcore, man. To be able to have... Just the guts, literally, excuse the pun, to go in there and to do that, and then you're literally dealing with guts. I mean, that's that's hardcore, and that happens to a lot more people than people understand. And so, and those people are scarred. You know, they get scarred from that stuff. You know, and the people he's were standing by, just taking pictures, had their their phones out and recording and stuff. And he was just like, 
why does anybody help this guy? He's just moaning and stuff. And he went up and he opened his thing to try to find out where their injuries were. Uh, his, his stomach had literally just been exploded and just about everything just came out. So. And, you know, so it's it's a very rare individual that that goes you know out out of the comfort zone to go help somebody else at anything in this world. So you know, first responders come in different forms, you know, and, and are are so important, and they're they're such beautiful people, and they're so important to society. And and uh, I think that they need to be protected as, as best as possible, and and give as many uh, different tools to try to you know cope. There's just not. I mean, and that just that goes for right. It's it's there's there's this it's just it's a completely back ass backwards system. I mean, it just makes no sense the way that the good people are supposed to be treated. They're not being treated well, and the pay is horrible. And look at look at the look at the inflation going on. I mean, nobody can afford anything. Nobody can afford gas. Nobody can afford to eat. Nobody can afford to rent. And because it's, everything is just continues to go up. Nobody's getting paid. When they do these, you know, uh, rate hikes on everything, they don't raise your, your, your the, the wage that you're making at work, you know, to, to adjust to that. You know, they, they keep you at the, at where you're at, and they just keep raising the, the, the cost of everything. And so that's being done to eliminate the middle class. Because once you've eliminated the middle class, then you've eliminated the enemy. Because now you've got the complete advantage. It's only rich or you're poor. And you can totally control the poor. You can't control someone like me, who is, you know, middle class and self-sustaining. And is my own independent voice. And, you know, that, that's their worst enemy. They want to eliminate people like me. No, and there's only so much they can do when you're, I'm a very public person. I'm, I've done more interviews in the past five years, I think, than anybody else that's alive. I mean, I've been on the FM rock radio. I was on it 25 times last year. So it's like two or three times a month sometimes. And, um, you know, I've done many, many interviews like this. I've been interviewed in Romania, uh, Switzerland's interviewed me. I've been interviewed all over, Detroit News. So I've been all over. I've been out there. And that's a part of my strategy is so that, um, look, you know, if, if, you, if anything does happen to me, it's going to be pretty amazing for people to be able to go back and look at the stuff I was talking about and see that, wow, this dude, this dude was right. He was onto something. And I don't know when this is going to happen. I, I don't, you know, in terms of when people are really going to start to wake up, um, I, I would hope it would happen sooner so that we could start kind of mounting some kind of, uh, <laughs> some kind of, uh, you know, defense against this what's what's going to happen to all of us and so you know i don't know i'm 52 i don't know how much longer i'll be around my dad died at 64 um so i don't know how how long i'll have to be around to see all this but i'm telling you right now where this is going and it's just the same thing as the titanic which is another investigation i worked on and uh found out that they actually had explosives on the ship and the ship was on fire coming out of the port when they first was, were sailing it. And that's what sank it. 
So they, it was all done to stop the federal, you know, to stop the Federal Reserve. Uh, people from wanted to stop the Federal Reserve. The richest man in the world was on the ship. Uh, I've also investigated that a, a man um, was was on it that was actually, believe it or not, at that time exposing pedophilia in England as as a newspaper guy, and so he was one of the guys on the ship. So it's just you have to realize that this stuff goes way back and it's been these cover-ups and all the stuff that you see generally in, in Hollywood is complete BS. It's it's some, a story that's been redone to they'll put elements in it that are true to put it out there. Like how in From Hell they had a very heavy Freemason uh, was they were in it, you know, they, they had that in there and that's kind of to taunt you. You know, it's to let you know that look, you know, we we want you to know certain things so that you understand that this is real. Well, like I said, it's the best way to, for them, the best way for them to serve and for a lot of these things they're doing, which relate to spells and rituals and stuff, is they have to somehow they have to get it out there. They have to put out to, to, to the public so that it's like, well, we told you so. We already told you what we were doing. You know what I mean? So it's a part of that not having to accept responsibility. It does. Well, it's, everything's mind control. And actually, if you are really wanting to get further into this, a really good jumping off point on my website at TheMetalDen.com, I actually have in the menu, I have MKUltra. And that's, that is all the mind control stuff that goes back to the 40s, 50s here in America, the different programs and explaining to you how that was, uh, how that was introduced into our culture. And that's what the CIA is. The CIA, what do people think the CIA do? We think they play checkers all day? The CIA is here to do one thing, is to deceive the American public. Their main book that the CIA put out was called The Book of Trickery. It was written by a magician. So that's doesn't need to tell you anymore. I mean, they're based off of black magic and very, very heavily into Satan. You want to hear the you want to hear the craziest thing? Well, back when we'll end this, but this is this is the kicker of it all. When I was on the Jack the Ripper case and was investigating the doctor, what I found out was that he was actually the pioneer of uh, and, and the first guy to carry out the uh, appendectomy surgery. He like was the he was that's completely deals with cutting up and carving up the stomach, you know, and being a surgical person in that area. Well, that's how those girls were killed. They were completely, they were, all the girls were disemboweled. They were cut surgically um, and very uh, meticulously uh, the, the organs were removed from the actual bodies at the locations. And many of the girls were killed on the street. 
And so uh, that's why, as I said, that, that's where I was able to um, to figure out that, yeah, it was, it was satanic ritual because um, they were using that um, those organs during rituals. Um, I believe it's part of the Hellfire Club. That's a very, very important uh, part of the secret societies is the Hellfire Club and so are the Jokers, which, again, relates to all the Freemasonry. But you have to really start to go down and, and, and read about and learn about this stuff and how it was started in history, how it was introduced to America, to really start to be able to, you know, fill in those those gaps when you when you're, yeah, definitely. Okay. I saw that. Yeah. Because your spirit, as first responder or not, but more so first responder, is going to be injured just like in war. Yeah. So how are you going to preserve that? So I have these different recommendations. Anything aside from just being in nature, listening to audio, all these sorts of things. Like you would say, like how are you going to prepare yourself for what you're going to see? And you can't necessarily do that because you don't know what you're going to see. Yeah, you don't know how it's going to scar you. I, I saw an accident real quickly. I saw an accident. I was a young a young guy and had my little brother with me. And we saw they had gone off of palms in, in Los Angeles. There's palms, we call mini palms and big palms. And there's a hill that leads down going towards Beethoven Street. But then there's a second hill and it's separated by some landscaping that goes down. Like And it, actually the show Chips in the 80s had an accident. They didn't film the scene with 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 a, uh, one of the, I guess motorcycles going off of there or whatnot, but I actually saw somebody that was in these bikers had an accident where they were going the wrong way on the road, drunk, and one of the cars, uh, poor innocent people, they just veered off, they went off that thing, man. And so, anyways, I was walking that morning, and we came across, we came upon the whole scene, me and my brother, when we we're just trying to go to the store in the morning, and I mean, I saw stuff. Just gnarly. I mean, the one guy, one of the biker guys, was like holding on to his nose and was on a tendon, and that's all he had. He was just screaming, and uh, they had gone off the completely flat on the bike. Also, fell, you know, went off that thing, and um, the one guy, the cops were putting him in the back of the squad car. The one of the guy with he had broken, you know, bones and stuff, broken arms and stuff, and they're still handcuffing him. He's screaming, you know, and it's just like, wow, man. I was, so that was for me. That was like. A, like what it must have felt like for a first responder when you arrive on a scene. Because when I got there, it was before the cops got there. So it was just, everyone was just laid out. And um, it was a very confusing, very uh, freaky thing, you know. And I just think about first responders and how when you arrive on something like that, you know, it, it, it it's going to stay with you no matter how you look at it. And so it's going to be how you deal with it is is, is, is is how, you know, not pushing it down, allowing it to be something that's... Um, that, that's it's a part of your life and it's a part of your experience as opposed to you know making something that you start pushing down with drug usage or alcohol to try to get away from it you know the best thing to do is to accept what's happened and and, and face it head on and, and and i think that you gain strength from that as a person as opposed to cowering and and, and trying to go the other way with it and, and not accept what you've seen
I, I really appreciate your holistic approach too, because I, I, I don't believe in then Randy Rock at Cody.com is, is all the other stuff is, you know, going to have the Jack the Ripper, the Black Diet, and Zodiac. You get three free articles on, on each site, and then you'll be um, kicked over. There's a paywall that's put in place so that subscription, uh, you know, kicks in, and, and you've got to pay for the sub subscription to be able to read anymore. But what I will be doing is actually starting August 1st, I'm excited to announce, I'm going to, on both sites for the entire month of August, I'm going to reduce the monthly uh, charge for the subscription to $1.99. So that's going to happen August 1st, and that's going to be... Yeah, it's gonna hopefully it'll give people that incentive to look. You know, there's a lot of different sites and people pay for their, you know, their Netflix and all these different things and